Our first reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, starting in the sixth verse. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies, also through his spirit that dwells in you. Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit, deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Again, Jesus was greatly disturbed and came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. Well, of course, the best-known story of resurrection in the New Testament is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if there is a second, it has to be Lazarus, right? This is the resurrection story that uh, we're probably most familiar with so far, most of us. We've been studying the stories of resurrection for the last several weeks. Uh, We began with Elijah and then on to Elisha, and then we spent the last few weeks in the New Testament. And this is probably, again, one of the most familiar stories, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's full of rich emotion and meaning, and there's a lot to unpack. There's some very important people present. And this moment of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is, a, is the moment that sets into motion what's going to happen the next two Sundays, Palm Sunday and Easter. This moment, this miracle sets everything into motion. It gets the ball rolling, so to speak. And it also foreshadows for Jesus' disciples 
what's going to happen afterwards. So we know the story. Jesus receives word from Mary, who's Lazarus' sister, that he's ill, and he confides in his disciples. He tells them that he intends to wait. He says that in the end, Lazarus isn't going to die, right? This illness does not lead to death, but what happens in the next few days is for the glory of God, and we're going to wait. Now, the disciples are fine with that. They're reluctant to go back to Judea anyway. If you, if you uh, crack open your Bible uh, to John and you go back one page from what we just read, uh, what you'll find is the story of Jesus uh, on Solomon's porch in the temple uh, being confronted by religious leaders, right? They, they circle him, the Bible says. They, they get around him in a circle. Now, Jesus has had this experience before, and generally what it is is that they're challenging him on some matter of theology. They're challenging something he teaches, now, there was no super strict fixed theology. There was some levity for a rabbi. Rabbis were allowed to have a little bit of a disagreement on some issues of theology, right? Just like uh, today, none of us are 100% in agreement on everything. But they would push him and test him, and he always had the right answer. But this time was different. This time they asked very specific pointed questions. Reading that story of Jesus being surrounded by these Pharisees in Solomon's porch was sort of reminds me, I like to watch the cop dramas like Law and Order. Do a lot of you watch those? Yeah? It's okay to raise your hand in a Methodist church. Nobody's getting struck by lightning yet. Great. <laughs> I don't believe that only two of you have ever seen a cop drama, but we'll go with it. Uh, but, uh, but, right, in these, there's always like this moment, like towards about 25 minutes into the episode, where like they get some guy to wear a wire. It never works, but they get him to ask pointed questions like, hey, remember that time you sold me drugs? Tell me about that again, right? And that's kind of like what's happening here. These Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus saying something illegal. So they say, aren't you the Messiah? And Jesus gives brilliant politician answers, right? He says, well, you said so. Well, that's what people are saying, right? He doesn't give them the direct yes that they want. And the reason is because it wasn't Jesus' time yet. If Jesus said to them, yes, I am the Messiah, son of the living God, they would have arrested him in that moment. Lazarus wouldn't have happened. In fact, all that's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, or that we're going to remember over the next couple of weeks, would not have happened had Jesus given them the answer they were looking for. They were unsatisfied, but they still were going to stone him, so Jesus narrowly escapes. So the disciples are fine with not going back to Bethany, because Bethany is two miles away from where all of this happened. Two miles, right? So from like here to like McDonald's away from what happened uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. So they're fine with not going back, but then Jesus says, okay, now it's time to go back, right? The disciples are fuming because now he's already asleep, right? They don't quite understand what's going on. As I said before, the disciples are kind of silly because it almost, when we have hindsight, when we can read the whole story and know what happens, it almost seems like these guys are idiots because they don't understand what's going on. But indeed, right, they're asleep. He's asleep. Well, why are we going back? He's going to be fine. Jesus says, no, we're going. Well, here's something about Jewish culture in the first century. When someone in your community died, you went. And that didn't matter if you knew them. It didn't matter if you were related to them. It mattered only that they were a faithful person of God like you, and they died. And so a crowd was in Bethany. It's only two miles away. A crowd was in Bethany, and it was there to pay their respects to Mary and to Martha and to aid her in her mourning, right? To be with her in those moments. So Mary and Martha are there, other disciples are there, and large crowds of people from Jerusalem are there. And Jesus walks up, and he talks to Mary and Martha, and he says, what's going on? They said, you should have been here sooner, Jesus. He's dead. And Jesus sees how upset they are, and he sees the mourners and how upset they are, and Jesus begins to weep. It's in some translations of the Bible, that's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. It's one verse. 
Jesus begins to weep, and the people, the crowd, say, wow, he really loved Lazarus. He really cared about Lazarus. And then there were those in the crowd who began their murmurings, right, as humans do. They say, well, if he loved him so much, where was he last week? He returned sight to the blind. He healed other people. Why couldn't he bring life back to this guy? Why couldn't he heal him? Right? But Jesus has a plan that has yet to be revealed, but is about to be revealed. Jesus says, take me to the tomb. And Mary and Martha oblige. And he says, open the tomb. And they don't oblige, right? They say, Jesus, look, if you wanted to see him, you should have come last week. If you wanted to see him, you should have stopped by on your way out of Jerusalem. If you wanted to see him, now is not the time. The body is decayed. It's going to smell bad. This is not the time to pay your respects. And Jesus says, move the tomb. Well, they do it. And then what happens next, right? Do the kids remember? What happens next? What happens? Jesus says, get up, dude. dude." That's right. (laughs) Jesus says, Lazarus, get up, dude. And Lazarus gets up and he walks out of the tomb with his hands and his feet bound by these claws, his face covered. Jesus says, unbind him. And they do that. But what really happens is not just what happened to Lazarus. There's a crowd there. There's a crowd there of people who believe that God has extraordinary power who have just seen it on display in a profound and extraordinary way. Mary and Martha are there, of course. His disciples are there. But Mary and Martha and his disciples already believe that Jesus is who he says he is. This crowd now begins to see the power of God on display. Healing is pretty incredible, right? But bringing life to someone that you know to be dead is absolutely profound. We presume that the crowd here is larger than the crowd that Jesus encountered in Nain when he caught caught the funeral procession. If you don't remember from last week, uh, Jesus uh, saw a widow or a mother uh, walking in a funeral procession with her only child, and Jesus touches the the cart that holds the the casket, and in this much same way, he says, get up, and the boy gets up, and he returns him to his mother, right? But this crowd is much bigger here in Bethany. And so I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much because then I'll have nothing to preach about for the next two weeks. But uh, then we get to back into Jerusalem. Then we get to palm leaves. Then we get to people being excited to welcome their new king. And of course, then we get to the moment that these religious leaders have always been waiting for when they can have Jesus executed for claiming to be the king of the Jews. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Now this is an important foreshadowing, Right? Uh, burial methods in, Jer- in Jerusalem in the time were very, very diverse, ranging from, honestly, just being thrown into the trash. I mean, that's genuinely what a lot of people, a lot of people were buried, uh, because there was a lot of fear around dead bodies. Uh, to burial, in the, uh, to burial uh, of different ways in caves and things like that. Uh, burial in the ground did happen, but it was pretty rare because of the fear that it would contaminate the soil. And, uh, <clears throat> but Jer- Lazarus being buried in a tomb wasn't necessarily super typical. But it was foreshadowing. Jesus ordered the tomb to be the, the stone to be rolled away from the tomb so that he could raise Lazarus, a foreshadowing of much the same way of when Jesus would be buried in Joseph's tomb and would himself rise after the stone had been rolled away. Jesus is in the presence of his disciples and of these bystanders and demonstrates the command and power that God gives him to call the dead to rise. Now, the apostles and the other disciples would then go on to travel the world and preach the gospel. Now, some of them, each of them would do it differently. Some of them would start churches, uh, such as the church in Ephesus. Some of them would meet in homes and would break bread with them and dine with them and and tell them the stories of Jesus. Others would go on mission to far parts of the world. The disciples, the apostles, after Easter, spread throughout the world. But this moment had to happen first. 
For the disciples to understand what was to happen, they had to witness yet again the power of God on display through Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. They had to witness the power of God on display in Jesus Christ. I imagine that this was a terrifying time for the disciples. Remember, if you recall, if you caught that, that they said, well, I guess if Jesus wants to go back to Jerusalem, I mean, we're going to die anyway. We might as well die with Jesus, right? I mean, they're going to find us. They're going to catch us. They're going to kill us. But they go from that to spreading the gospel to the world. In fact, 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred, possibly 12. It depends on who you ask on whether or not Matthew was martyred. That the disciples were willing to die for the message that Jesus shared is evidence of their faith, evidence that came in moments like these. Now, we've been studying resurrections in the Bible these last several weeks, and there's one deep and underlying theme in each of them. God favors the lost and the least, those that are down and out, struggling, and those that have grief and those that have strife. But in the end, God's grace abounds in the lives of those people so that it can multiply, not so that it'll be held quietly to itself, not so that it become a pawn to perpetuate ideologies, but so that it can be shared with the world, that the world would know why Christ died for them and why Christ rose for them. How has God revealed himself to you this Lent? You ever notice how two people can have the exact same experience and walk away feeling very different about it? I think I remember a commercial at one time or some sort of a skit maybe where it begins to rain and the farmer is in tears praising God for the rain and the guy with the BMW convertible is cursing God for the rain because he really expected to have a nice drive today, right? We all have our own experiences and our own ideas about the world and when things happen in our world, we tend to approach the same exact circumstance with different responses. I'm convinced that the difference maker is whether or not we see the world through the eyes of God. Paul uses, likens it to the image of a mirror, which to our context in the 21st century might sound a little strange because a mirror is this nice, shiny piece of glass that you can see with. But in Paul's day, they were made of brass. I mean, we have brass up here. If you come up to the altar, you can, you can kind of see your reflection, and it's distorted, and it's dark, and it's dim. That's Paul's idea of what it means to see the face of God, that it is not a clear picture. It's a picture that we have to work on throughout our lives, through our prayer and our study and our action. Through worshiping God, we polish that brass just a little at a time in hopes that one day we'll see God clearly and we'll see the world through the eyes of God. How has God revealed himself to you this week, this month, this Lent? How have you experienced the grace of God that says that even when life continues to be a part of this broken world, even when the world continues to be filled with things that aren't just and aren't right, does the grace of God consume and cover you? My prayer for us this week as we head towards Holy Week, which is just a week away, which is incredible to me. My prayer for us is that we would intentionally work on seeing the face of God in the midst of those that we meet, so that we can be filled with the same kind of passion that the apostles had to share the grace that we've been offered. That when people see us, they wonder what we've got, what it is that, that <clears throat> makes us believe good in the world. Religious ideologies throughout centuries have spread in a number of ways. Uh, for the first century Jews, right, it was mostly through a family, right? You were born into a Jewish family, and you were raised Jewish, and of course, you lived in a country that was Jewish. You lived in Israel, so you lived in a country where there really wasn't a lot of other options, but Christianity spread without all that, because people shared the stories of one another, the stories of Jesus, the stories of the apostles, 
and the stories of how their life was changed. The Christian uh, Bible wouldn't even exist for another few centuries, for a few hundred years after the death of Jesus before we got a Bible. And they told the stories because they heard the stories and they shared them and they took what little pieces and writings they had. They didn't do it with churches. They didn't have churches. They, they came eventually. But they went into their homes and they shared the stories of Jesus Christ with the world. They spread the gospel by feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and healing the sick. they take whatever means they had and they'd share it with those whose needs were greater than their own. And invariably, people would want to know the source of this much love for strangers. And they'd hear that the source of all good things, the source of love, the source of life, the source of hope, is God. And the point of studying resurrection these past few weeks has not just been to have a history lesson. Anytime we look at the scriptures, right, we look for meaning. We look for what it is, uh, what, what it means for us, what it is that we're supposed to do about it, right? We look at these stories of resurrection, we see God's power on display. And we're reminded of our own resurrection. We're reminded that the essential truth of the gospel is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead to give us resurrection also. Again, it's amazing to me that Easter is two weeks away. I mean, it's just incredible. In two weeks, we're going to share the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus Christ conquering death once again. And I would encourage you, if you're able, to spend some time during Holy Week. If you're not able to make it to worship on Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, that's okay. Spend some time in in the Scripture. Spend some time in prayer. If you can make it, make it a point to make it. Because it can, can, can be tempting to skip right from Palm Sunday to Easter. It can be tempting to skip from one, uh, one triumph to the, to the next and to miss the fact that before resurrection came death. And indeed, in our community today, as we think about how God is calling us to spread the gospel, we still have those Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday moments. We still have those moments where it seems as if God is no longer present. We still have those moments that seem as if the pain and the strife of the world is all-consuming. We're reminded that with God, triumph always comes in the end. So who is in need in your community today? Who this week will you encounter for whom the love of God needs to be shared? My prayer for us this week is that we live as witnesses to these things. Like the apostles who watched Lazarus, rags and all walk out of his own tomb, witnesses to the work God has done in our lives and the power God has over the universe. Witnesses who are eager to share what we know and what we've seen with the people in our midst. Friends, there is no greater sound in church than the sound of children. Amen? Right? We can pretend to be Baptists for about five minutes and say amen to that, right? And I just love hearing them get so excited to declare that Lazarus has risen, and in two weeks we get to declare that Jesus Christ is risen. So my, my prayer for us is that we'd be every bit as excited as those kids standing up here this morning, every bit as excited as they are to share with the world that Jesus Christ is risen, that Jesus Christ, who had the power to raise Lazarus, has the power to raise us as well. Amen.